Well, we've been uh, looking through Philippians the last few weeks, and uh, as that video was saying, we've been discovering how trusting in Christ brings new things into our lives, gives us a new direction, a new orientation. We looked, first of all, at the very start of the book of uh, Philippians, at how um, it gives us a new heart, and coming to Christ changes our heart and gives us a new love uh, for God and for uh, each other. And then uh, we saw how it, it sets our, our feet in a new direction. We have new purpose. And then after that, we saw how um, it introduces us to a completely new attitude. Do you remember that picture of Jesus Christ? He who had everything gave up those things in order to become a servant and give his life. And we said that is our, that is our attitude as Christians, completely radical countercultural, And then we saw last week how as you come to Christ and as you, as you are in Christ, it redefines your relationships. And you're invited into new forms of friendship. Friendship with God, but friendship with one another. And today, with chapter three, we're seeing a new confidence that we have as, as Christians that redefines the way we live our lives. Now, Paul is coming to, the, coming to a crunch thing here. And it's one of these moments in this lovely letter where he opens himself up. He makes himself vulnerable with those Christians because there's something absolutely fundamental that is going on around the question of where do you put your confidence? Where do you put your confidence? We live in our society today in a time of crisis of confidence. It's one of the greatest dramas, I think, in, in modern society. We live in a cynical, critical age where we knock people down. And little by little, it whittles away at, our, at the sense of confidence we have, confidence in our leaders. We think of motions of no confidence that are there, whether it's political leaders or our professional leaders in our workplace. They're a natural authority undermined, but it's also, a, a, we, we live in a day where we have a loss of confidence in ourselves. There it's not a vote of, lo, of no confidence in others, it's a vote of low confidence in ourselves. I came across on a website um, this week, uh, 25 killer actions to boost your self-confidence. How about this? Number one, groom yourself. Dress nicely. Photoshop your image. Think positive, kill negative thoughts, get to know yourself, act positive, be kind and generous, get prepared, know your principles and live them, speak slowly. Stand tall, increase competence, set a small goal and achieve it. I actually printed set a small goat and achieve it, but that's different. Change a small habit, focus, focus on solutions, smile, volunteer, be grateful, exercise, empower yourself with knowledge, do something you've been procrastinating about. It's good for me. Get active, work on small things, clear your desk. Well, I, I sort of ran through that list with Uta earlier on, my wife, and she said, no, 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 all you have to do is eat chocolate. <laughs> well, okay. Self-confidence, isn't it a problem? I mean, we've never lived in a society that's so obsessed with itself and yet so unsure. Came across a quote from the, the, the American poet E.E. E. Cummings who said this, once we believe in ourselves, we can risk curiosity, 
wonder, spontaneous delight, or any experience that reveals the human spirit once we believe in ourselves. The problem is that according to scripture, self-confidence doesn't come from believing in yourself. It comes from trusting in another. Self-confidence comes when you know you are loved. And ultimately, confidence in life comes from knowing you are loved by Christ. That is Paul's message in this letter. We can search for confidence elsewhere. And it's important to be self-confident in life. But ultimately, our confidence comes from another. We don't find it by digging into ourselves. We receive it as a gift from Jesus Christ. And that is what grounds and what roots our lives. It is all about relationship. I was reminded about that um, on Friday night in our family. We have film night, much to the delight of our girls. It's one of our sort of ways of bribing our children. And um, so in, in our main room, we watch a film. And last Friday, we watched the film Wonder. I don't know if any of you have seen that film. It's a remarkable film about a 10-year-old boy with severe facial abnormalities who begins life at a new school. And it traces the sense of panic in him as he faces the fact that other people will be looking at him. And it's a boy who, with this terrible deformity that he has, spends his whole time looking down at people's feet. And his way of dealing with um, his fear is to protect himself by, by, by wearing a, a spaceman's helmet. And so he goes around with this sort of like astronaut's helmet on his head. And he develops a coping mechanism. And his coping mechanism is to retreat into a dream world where he is this amazing astronaut who conquers everything and is well-loved. But the film traces the story of how he has to little by little remove his helmet and face others. And there's a beautiful thing in that film because he gains confidence by discovering the depth of love that his parents have for him. And then little by little, drawing love out of those around him. And there's a great quote at one point in that film where, where um, he says to, to his mum says, says to him in a moment after, the, after he comes back after the first day and he, he slams the door and he goes into his room and he puts his helmet on and his mum goes in and she says, take the helmet off. And then she says, you know I love you. And he says, well, that doesn't count because you're my mum. And she says this, because I'm your mum, it counts the most because I know you the most. And then a little later on in the film, there's an interaction between this little boy hurting inside and his dad. And his dad saying, says this, I, I never get to see you anymore. I've missed your face. I know you don't always like it, but I love it. It's my son's face. And as I saw that, I just thought to myself, what a beautiful, beautiful picture of the gospel. This little, this little boy 
who's so lacking in confidence and self-confidence and it's all he can do to take off his helmet and expose himself. And then he hears love. And he discovers that he is someone because he is loved. And isn't that an amazing secret that we have to proclaim? We are someone because we're loved. We're loved by God. Now that, of course, is the experience of Paul. Paul spent his life trying so hard to do it his way, to have self-confidence, confidence in himself. He, he gives it in our lesson. In our reading, he talks about all the things that he had going for him in the past. Status, birth, upbringing, education, zeal, success, successful track record. He was going for it until suddenly he was exposed for what he was. And the surface stuff just was taken away and, and the mask came off, the helmet came off. And he encountered Christ on that road to Damascus. He was knocked off his horse. Symbolically, he was stopped. And as he meets Jesus Christ there, he's, he's laid bare. He finds himself naked, blind. And that's where he discovers the amazing love and power of God who comes to those who are naked and blind and weak, lacking in confidence, lacking in direction, who spend their time trying to make themselves into someone but who when they become, they're exposed and they realize they haven't got it. He comes to them. There's an amazing um, part of Psalm 146 that says this, he, the maker of heaven and earth, upholds the cause of the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. He sets the prisoners free. He gives sight to the blind. He lifts up those who are bowed down. And that's what he did with Paul on the road. And because Paul encountered Christ, everything changes in his life. He hears the voice of Jesus Christ speaking to him. And he discovers that Jesus loves, not because of what he does, not because of what Paul has done, but despite it. And Jesus calls him. And through the voice of Jesus calling him, he discovers another picture of God. A picture that no doubt as a good Pharisee, he knew theoretically, but now he discovers in his heart. And that is that God loves the oppressed. He picks up the brokenhearted. He lifts those who only can look at the feet of those around. And he gives value. The love of Jesus, the love of the Father. And so it is in our passage in the middle of this extraordinary letter. Paul establishes a fundamental contrast between self-confidence and Christ-confidence. What do you ground your life on? Verse seven, he says, whatever were gains to me, 
I know I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Everything turned on its head. From now on in Paul's life, his confidence will come from someone. And it's not himself. Very interesting in these, in these verses, Paul picks up on sort of accountancy language. I'm not at all good with numbers. Um, in fact, asked me to fill out numbers, as my wife regularly tells me, and it's fairly catastrophic. Remind, reminds me of the story of John Keeble. He was a great theologian from the 19th century, but um, uh, when he was at Oxford as a don, he um, uh, was put in charge of the bookkeeping. And um, one year, his accounts were nearly 2,000 pounds out. So they looked, I'm looking at Aaron, our, our ex-treasurer there, and um, uh, not because you'd do this, of course, Aaron, but you know. And, and so they looked into it, and eventually the mystery was solved because having written the date at the top of the page, John Keeble had added the number of the year, 1820, to one of the columns of figures. And as a result, they were two, nearly 2,000 pounds out. Once they'd sorted it out, no problem. Creative accounting. But normally we know what goes in a credit column and what goes in a debit column, don't we? I mean, when we do it right, not the date. And, uh, you know, credit, debit, profit, loss. But when we look at the, the language used here in this passage by Paul, it's really strange. Because everything that was in his credit column before he met Christ is now suddenly in his debit column once he's met Christ. And what was in his debit column, because he was persecuting Christians, remember, suddenly counts for everything in his life. Suddenly, because of Christ, he doesn't have to fill that credit column anymore. It's full. His life is overflowing with the love of Jesus Christ. And all those things he did before in order to try and please God or in order to try and satisfy himself or in order to try and give himself status and meaning, in order to try and enable him to stand tall before others. All of that stuff is now actually, it counts for nothing, less than nothing. He says, I count it loss now compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Friends, that is the grounding of Christian confidence. It absolutely doesn't come from us. It comes from Christ who looks at us and calls us. Paul's confidence comes from knowing and being known. From loving and being loved by Christ. That's where his confidence comes that's why despite what happens, he can still rejoice. That's why whatever, whatever attacks there are, whatever, how do we say it in English? Catastrophes happen. He knows where he stands. And it's beautiful in this passage, just if you've got a Bible, just look with me because verses um, eight and nine give it beautifully. Now that he's in Christ, he has positional knowledge. Do you know what that, do you understand? He knows where he stands. This is what he says, verses eight and nine. He says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ.
Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. That's his new position. That's his standing now. It's positional knowledge. He knows where he is. He knows whose he is. Because he is in Christ, Paul has become someone, a son of God, a child of God. And Paul's whole point is that this doesn't just happen to him. It happens to everyone who turns to Christ. Everyone who puts their trust and their confidence in Jesus Christ has positional knowledge. They know who they are. And it doesn't depend on them. And so Paul talks in terms of a righteousness. Very interesting. You may know the story of Martin Luther in the 16th century, that, that, six, that, that, that reformer, great reformer, but he was an Augustinian monk who spent his time trying to follow the precepts of God. He was so sincere. He got up early to pray. He gave his arms to others, not his arms, but his ALMS, you know, the gifts to others. He probably would have given his arms if he could. And yet he was tormented by the thought that whatever he did, it wasn't enough to satisfy the righteous God. And this Martin Luther, every time he read the beginning of Romans where it said a righteousness the righteousness of God has been revealed in the gospel. He just couldn't understand how it could be good news for a righteous God to look at him. Because whatever Luther, Martin Luther, this sincere monk tried to do, he knew in the back of his mind it wasn't enough. There's always more. And he knew that the perfection of God, the righteousness of God, that those demands of God, he couldn't possibly live up to them. So how could it be good news? That God's righteous requirements were revealed in, in Jesus. How can that possibly be good news? Until he discovered and he realized that you can translate that word righteousness of God as righteousness from God. It's a gift. Just like the power of God is given to us so we may live power the power of God in our lives or the hand of God so that we can be guided or the love of God so we may know love so the righteousness of God is, is God giving his right living, his right status to his people as a gift and suddenly Luther talks about how everything turns around in his mind and he suddenly realises he's made right by the gift of God in Jesus Christ and the only thing he needs to do is receive it, trusting that God's word is true. And when God says he does it, he really does do it. That's all he needed. And so his confidence, his trust was grounded in someone else, Jesus Christ. Luther discovered positional knowledge. He knew who he was. And it changed his life. And Paul knew who he was. Even he who had been persecuting Christians, the greatest of sinners, he says elsewhere, can become a son of the living God 
by faith, by the generosity of God, by trusting in God. This is amazing, friends. This is what gave Paul the security that he needed for his life. It gave him confidence in the present to face whatever happened. He was no longer fearing the reputation of others or fearing some degree of failure in his work or his life or whatever. His relationships, he knew who he was. He had confidence. But the amazing thing is that the passage goes on. It's not just positional knowledge that Paul has and that we have as Christians because it actually goes on and it says this, verse 10. Although he knows Christ and that's, he is known you know, he's, he's hidden away in Christ. That's his positional knowledge. He also says this. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Can you see that Paul's confidence is also in relational knowledge? It's not just positional. It's not just knowing who he is. It's being invited into knowing Christ more and more and more. And how does he do that? It's by becoming like him. Isn't that amazing? The source of our confidence as Christians is not just knowing that we are children of God. It's also knowing that in Christ, God walks by our side and he invites us to know him and he invites us to become like him. Like Christ in, 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 in his resurrection power as we were singing but also like Christ in sharing in the participation of his sufferings. Friends, that gives dignity to everything that we, sh we go through. Everything, everywhere, anyone, Christ is there. And he's leading us on, always more, taking us deeper. Relational knowledge, I want to know Christ, he says. And somehow, to attain to the resurrection from the dead, that's where he's going. And so if, if it's sort of like positional knowledge gives him security and confidence in the present, relational knowledge gives him, gives him impetus for the future. That's where his confidence for tomorrow lies. Because Christ is with him, always taking him further, always taking him on. This is so foundational for Paul. This is his confidence. And for Paul, this is so significant that he begins our passage by reminding the Philippians, he says three times in verse two, watch out. Watch out. Why does he say watch out? Because in his day, as in ours, there is constantly pressure to put your confidence in other things. All the time. All the time, we're taught that our self-confidence comes from this or comes from that. And so three times to the Philippian Christians who he loves so much, Paul says, watch out. First time he says, watch out, verse two, those dogs. Now, you need to understand that he's being ironic, okay, here in the, in, the, the Greek, in the Jewish tradition, dogs was the term used for Gentiles to describe those non-Jews. And actually, Paul is talking about Jews who become Christians who are trying to in, say that, 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 that identity comes from their background, from their ethnic background. 
And so by, by calling them dogs, he's actually turning everything on its head. He's saying they're the dogs. Listen, your identity and your confidence never comes from your ethnic background. Any sort of background, your cultural background, that isn't where a Christian's identity and confidence is rooted, Paul says. So watch out, there's pressure. There's pressure to think you are someone or you're not someone because of where you come from. Friends, that's never where our confidence lies. But Paul also says, watch out a second time. He said, he says, watch out, chapter three, verse two, how does he phrase it here? Watch out for those evildoers. Literally the bad works people. These are the ones who see their confidence lying in their behavior because they were congratulating themselves on being so good. So Paul turns it on its head and this time he says they're the bad works people. Because there's constantly pressure, not only for us to get our confidence from our background, but also for us to get our confidence from our behavior. We're good. Friends, as Christians, our confidence lies elsewhere. And then a third time, Paul says in verse two, watch out. This time he says, watch out for those mutilators of the flesh. And again, he's, he's, he's being ironic because he's using a word, he's, dis, he's distorting the word which is normally used for circumcision. And that was the thing. Jewish Christians who were seeing that, their, that their, their status and their confidence came from their sense of belonging to God's people and historically circumcision was the sign. And Paul takes it and he twists it and he doesn't use the word for, um, for circumcision. He, he, he uses the word for cutting up into little pieces, for mutilating. And he's saying, listen, your, your confidence as Christians doesn't come from outward signs of belonging. Your confidence comes from elsewhere. So he says, it is we, we who are the circumcision, the heart, we who serve God by his spirit, it is we who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. That, friends, is so profound. That's where our confidence comes from. Rejoicing, celebrating, boasting in Jesus Christ. He gives us positional knowledge. We know who we are. He gives us relational knowledge. We're invited to know him more. And Paul says, everything else I consider loss compared to the the wonder of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. So let's go back to the beginning, that quote from E.E. E. Cummings, where he said this, he said, once we believe in ourselves, we can risk curiosity, wonder, spontaneous delight, or any experience that reveals the Holy Spirit. Let me suggest that Paul would put it differently. Paul would say this, once we believe in Christ, we cannot resist curiosity, wonder, spontaneous delight, and every experience that reveals the Holy Spirit. Friends, that's what we're invited into. Paul says, whatever were gains before, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord.
Friends, where today is your confidence rooted? Let's follow Paul and leave the other things and look to Christ. Amen.